You're listening to the Fertility Docs Uncensored Podcast, featuring insight on all things fertility from some of the top-rated doctors around America. Whether you're struggling to conceive or just planning for your future family, we're here to guide you every step of the way. Hi, everyone. We're back with another episode of Fertility Docs Uncensored. I'm one of your hosts, Dr. Abby Eblen from Nashville Fertility Center. And today I am joined by my engaging and enchanting co-host, Dr. Susan Hudson from Texas Fertility Center. Hello, hello. And Dr. Carrie Beniet from the Fertility Center of Las Vegas. Hi, how you guys doing? Great. And we are joined today by two special guests, Megan Campbell, who is the Regional Account Representative for Fertility Pharmacy of America. Hey. Hey. And one of her colleagues, Jocelyn Frymouth. She is also from the Fertility Pharmacy of America, and she is the Clinical Director of Pharmacies. So we are so excited to have you guys here today and to talk about what you do. But first, you were telling us about something you guys do that's kind of quirky on a Friday afternoon there. Tell us a little bit about it. Yes, I'm still getting uh, some text messages this morning about some of our <laughs> colleagues are sore from our Friday workout that we did. <laughs> <laughs> I am actually one of those people that is sore from our Friday workout. Yeah, we, we started... What do you do? <laughs> we, we started this little um, fun team bonding activity on Fridays. Uh, that's how we sold it to them, of course. It's a team bond. <laughs> really. Uh, Never fall for that. <laughs> uh, I, I pick a song and I put a workout to it. So we focus on different body parts. Uh, <laughs> it's squats or arms or what it should be. And we did some planks and arms this last Friday and some people are still feeling it. So, um, but hey, uh, really, how long have you guys been doing that? Have you been doing it for a while or? Yeah, since the beginning of this year. So yeah, as of uh, January 1st, yeah. our song this week was Thunderstruck and you had to do a push up every time that they say thunder. Oh my <laughs> goodness. No, that was not. <laughs> and you had to hold the plank until the next time they said thunder. So we all took turns. And then the reward is it's also fancy coffee Friday. So we all uh, order products afterwards. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I'm I'm down with the fancy coffee Friday. <laughs> I'm impressed with the workout. Who comes up with a routine or like you guys train somehow? Have you done some sort of teaching before? No, we just kind of on the spot come up with something. I, I said, actually, it was it was Megan's choice this Friday of what, what focus group she wanted and she wanted to do something with her arms. So that's where we did the push-up into plank holds. So. Interesting. So how many people do this or do you get a lot of engagement from everybody? Yeah, it started off with just kind of the the business account team and then some of the technicians have come on board. I've definitely got um I even got our owner to come on in one time and do it with us. So that, <laughs> yeah, was fun. that is so cool. <laughs> Well, you know, you know, we're just right down in Nashville Fertility. We're right down the street from you guys. So maybe if yeah, you want, maybe house. some, maybe some Friday. We have a lot of, lot of young, healthy people in our office, I think that would love to do it. So I'm inviting you now, an official invitation to come down on a Friday afternoon to our office and leave one of those for us. We would love it. That'd be great. We will bring the coffee as well. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. And the coffee. That's perfect. <laughs> well, today we're going to talk about, um, Compounded medicines. We gotta do. And, we gotta do our oh, question of the day. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot. Our a question. Of question of the day, Susan. Sorry, I'm getting so excited talking about compounding medicine. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. There is nothing better. <laughs> today we're just focusing more on the drugs. Usually it's the sex, but you know. 
That'll come in time, you know. All right. Here's our question for today. Um, just found your podcast and love listening. I've already learned so much. My husband and I met with our fertility doctor and have done four rounds of IUI with his sperm being as low as 1.7 million and as high as being 28 million throughout those four rounds. Motility around 70% or higher, morphology normal. Due to his varying, varying sperm count, we've been advised to keep trying IUI with no mention of other medication. I recently asked my doctor about spotting about a week after each of the first three rounds of IUI, and they put me on progesterone for round four. There was no spotting. My question is, should I be adding any other medications? The only number that seemed low for me was an AMH of one. Thank you for your insight. So she doesn't mention letrozole or clomid. Mm -hmm. or I, I think like that's that. exactly what she's saying. They're doing yeah. natural cycle IUI, IUI with variable sperm parameters. Very so, variable sperm parameters. Yeah. I mean, the, the success rates with just plain old IUI, and this is assuming she's ovulatory and young and all of the rest of it is, is in place and her tubes are open and all of that. But the success rate, like you figure by the time when you just start to try and get pregnant, your success rate's about 20 to 25% per month. And this is assuming under 35. And then after you've been trying for a couple of months, you're like one to 3% per month. Excuse me, after you've been trying a couple of years, it's one to 3% per month. Well, when you do just an IUI, it's like in the area of about 5% per month. Mm -hmm. So you can do it and it's better, but rather in, rather add in some meds for that. Yeah, and really, we find that you need the synergy of doing something for the woman to boost her ovaries and uterus and all that kind of good stuff in combination with maximizing that egg and sperm interaction. Yeah, yeah I would agree. ASRM, the American Society for Reproductive Medicine, came out with a committee opinion in 2020 that basically said that, that basically said, you know, and, and, you know, I offer, you know, some things to all people, but basically they say, if you really want to increase your chances, you really probably need to do ovulation induction medication, oral mm -hmm. medicine with IUI and not do either one of them separately. So yeah, I definitely agree. I think that you should probably be doing both and continue the progesterone too. I think that's been helpful. So, and a little comment about the sperm, you know, anytime we see sperm counts that vibe vary that widely. We always worry about things like varicocele. I mean, sometimes it's just, it's something that happens. But realistically, if you have done two or three IUI cycles with good quality sperm, then you probably need to start thinking about other options. I would just hate for you to be doing a year of IUIs, just hoping to meet that good sperm criteria. Because realistically, if you have less than five to 10 million sperm, it, it probably isn't going to have great chances of success. Mm -hmm. Also consider if there's been any um, precipitating events throughout that time. So for mm -hmm. example, let's say he got really sick and had high fevers, That that's something that can really knock a sperm count down and it's going to take three months to recover. And so that's something to factor in and go back and think about, okay, has there been anything that's happened near those times that would- Including lifestyle to things. If y'all went on vacation, he went to a sauna or a hot tub. Uh, can spy, um, the, spy those little sperm. Yeah. <laughs> sperm. All right. All right. Well, now we are going to talk about compounded medication and kind of just tell us what that is because it's not a term that most people would really understand based on the name of it. So tell us a little bit about that and what you guys do. And can we actually back up just a hair and tell us when you're comparing, when you're talking about compounding, talk about what, when most people think about meds, like 
kind of what's the standard and and maybe compare that to compounding so we know where we're starting with with what what what, what most people are thinking and then that gives us a better framework for what compounding is. Yeah, perfect. Uh, so yeah, it's basically what everyone kind of knows of when they get their prescriptions from a pharmacy is um, you all send in a prescription to a pharmacy and they get a medication that was manufactured by uh, one of the many different big pharma companies out there. And they follow these large, large guidelines that are manufactured um, to have these specific formulas and lab testing to saying that this is safe and effective for people to use. So we actually follow the exact same thing when it comes to compounding medications. We just follow a different set of guidances because we're not doing large-scale batching like manufacturing pharmacies do. We do individualized, customized medications to meet specific needs of patients that are not met uh, that the big pharma companies can make. So uh, a really good example that the patients um, who are listening might be familiar with is um, progesterone in sesame Ooh. oil. So that one is a very, very popular one. Yeah. <laughs> so we actually, uh, of course, we have that one available as well. But we, for the patients who have the allergies mm-hmm. to that the, the can't take the commercially available medication, uh, we actually can make it in a different vehicle. So a different base, uh, which is called ethyl oleate. So we take the exact same progesterone active ingredient. We do the same uh, preservatives, pH buffers, every single same thing that they do for the manufactured product. We just choose a different vehicle. So uh, the medication is still getting there exactly the same. The vehicle is what is different and we can actually change that in our lab and customize it to meet the need of the patient. I I love progesterone and alpha oleate. Can you Mm -hmm. explain to us why it's available in kind of this compounding scenario versus why big pharma doesn't make it? So uh, I can't speak to why Big Pharma hasn't picked this one up because it is actually extremely popular. Uh, they it. probably could. They'll have to go. It doesn't through. hurt as bad. Exactly. <laughs> it hurt as bad. We actually um we actually have a video. We even took it in the lab when we compared it between the base that the manufacturers make sesame oil and compared it to the ethyl oleate, and you can just see how thin it is. Um, oh, and it, wow. um, it is extremely extremely fast, and of course that is painless. For the patients, well, almost painless for the patients. Let's be able here to the other as well because the thickness of it, uh, it's still exactly the same. And how I almost compare it, when I use the word vehicle, that's really what we use in compounding as well. But it's the same thing as when you think of a vehicle like your car. If you get in <laughs> a Ford versus a Tesla, you're going to get to the same destination at the same time, same like nothing else changes, but the vehicle you got in is different and they each have different advantages. So it's the same thing with compounding. Uh, So that is kind of how I explain it. So the medication is completely, you're still going to get all the same results from it. It's just a different way of delivery. So the ethylene is the Tesla. And we love it. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And patients also have like way less reactions we've found. Like um, I feel like it's pretty common for patients to have that allergic reaction to the sesame oil. Um, but our clinics that do the ethyl oleate one um, more regularly, we don't see as many complaints or really any complaints on that front either. And that's what I was going to ask. What are some other vehicles? Because I know there's some other oils that you guys use too, right? Yeah, there is some other vehicles you can use. Um, there's grapeseed and... Um, wow, I've never heard of grapeseed. That's a new one. <laughs> <laughs> 
To be honest, ethyleate is the the premium one. Is it okay? I mean, they they have other ones, but might as well just stick to the premium one. If if it were so, me, that's what I would use. So I think an important thing to discuss is: Are all compounding pharmacies equal? So that's a very good question. So they are not all equal. Um, they all kind of uh, do their own little specialties. Some of them, some of them are focused in kind of covering all the all the different customized needs from, um, you know, vet to hormone to um, hair regrowth, all those kind of things. And of course, our lab can do that as well. But our lab, first of all, is unique because we actually were built to help Fertility Pharmacy of America. So we actually mm. focused all of our formulas to help fertility patients. Mm-hmm. So that is our our bread and butter. That's what we did first. Um, we made our lab for hazardous drugs, which are progesterone, luprolides, things like this. Um, we have a sterile and a non-sterile lab, which those all have their own USP guidelines in it. Mm. Um, Oh, yeah. So so we are made for fertility. And then, of course, we can do the other things. Um, So that's just one thing that's uniquely different about ours. Uh, That also being said, we also spent the time up front to make sure we went and got third-party tester labs to be able to test all of our formulations. So we Mm -hmm. had to send them off, get extended um, what we call BUDs, which is really an expiration date. It's just a different way you say it in compounding. So beyond use dates. And we went and got extended ones to make sure our fertility patients were taken care of so they could use their medications much longer and feel safe and secure with it. Um, and of course, we have the lab and equipment. We can do that all here, but we've always felt that it's best practice to have a third party do it and say, yes, this is exactly what you saying it is. So it's funny to me that you say hazardous chemicals and then you say yeah. <laughs> all that. Because when I think of hazardous chemicals, I think of like I was a chemistry and biology major. Like so I'm formaldehyde. <laughs> formaldehyde. I'm thinking of the intercalating agents that can actually cause harm to your genome and all of that. And I know that there's a zillion and a half warnings on estrogen and progesterone of don't take these when you're pregnant, which to most fertility docs... Which is, we give everybody those when they're pregnant. (laughs) Well, your body makes them when you're pregnant. It's not even us giving it. It's just, it exists. So what, what makes those... Hazardous. Like, why? What earns them that label? I'm glad you said that because I should actually be specific here. So it's hazardous in our lab for the pharmacy technician who is compounding it. So uh, we have to have special filters and air flows that go from our hoods um, to Got make it. sure the 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 person who is compounding is actually protected. So it's really a hazardous for who is compounding it to make sure that they're minimizing their risks of of different things. So you want to make sure like the, the male pharmacist doesn't start singing treble or something. Or... <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yes. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> Got it. And that, that actually tracks along because I have a lot of patients who will look at the, yeah. the warnings and they'll go, why are you giving this to me when I'm, when I'm going to be pregnant? And I'm like, oh, honey, this is, <laughs> we are, we are throwing water at the ocean. Your body is going to be making <laughs> just a little bit. So that's good to know. Yes. And they have only implemented that in the most in the last five years or so, this hazardous kind of extra training, it's just for safety for the technicians who are long-term compounding with bulk chemicals. We want to make sure they're not breathing it in and they're going out instead. So if we have listeners who are needing to get compounded medications, whether for fertility or 
other parts of their lives. Are there certain questions that you would encourage them to ask or look into when selecting their pharmacy? Yes, uh, I love that question as well. And I always, always love it when patients or providers ask me those questions because not everybody does. But we are so black and white on our standard operating procedures. I I love answering it because I hope everybody vets all of their compounding pharmacies the way that we do it. So uh, we have these things called certificate of analysis uh, for every single ingredient we have, as well as we get back from our third-party testers. So these will say our endotoxins, our sterility, our potency of all of our chemicals. I always encourage people to say, can I see one of your certificate of analysis or what I we call them C of A's. Uh, that's a really good starting point because if they don't know what that is, you on have the silence at the end of, yeah, other end of the line. <laughs> that's, that's a problem. Go, hmm, I might need to make another phone call. <laughs> exactly because we we send one of those off at every single batch we make. We send it off. Gotcha. Even though okay. We've got it hundreds of times now. We still send off every single batch, so you can see the lot number on what you have. You can see the certificate of analysis. It's all there. So I definitely encourage that. And that will always kind of vet out the ones that maybe are not having that strict of standards. <laughs> what are the other really common fertility mm -hmm. compound medications? So progesterone and oil is always the, the million dollar one because, I mean, that med is literally a pain in the butt. And so what are <laughs> what are some of the other ones that get a lot of traffic with, with you guys that you see patients needing more often? I would say one of our fastest movers would be Lupron. Um, oh, yeah. triggers and the Lupron kits. Um, something that's really cool about the compounding pharmacy um, is that this year we were able to start compounding the Lupron kits for patients um, and be able to do that at a much more affordable rate as compared to the commercially available Lupron kit. Can you discuss the difference between a Lupron kit versus a Lupron trigger versus Lupron that we might use for other reasons like endometriosis and things like that? So really, we have so many different Luprolide formulas at this point. <laughs> We've kind of made them for every single specific patient need that is a that that is needed. So we make it um, really effective for the patient to not have to um, kind of figure out special different dosing for triggers and things like that. Yeah. It's available. Um, the other thing is um, you can make it preservative free as well if that's something that you wish to have. Um, we, we have these little kits that are very easy for the patient to be able to kind of figure out and have the exact doses of what they need. I mean, we have it... I can't even tell you how many formulas we have of these different ones, just all all for the patient's ease and compliance, honestly. For Lupron Trigger, do you have it pre-mixed for Lupron Trigger? Because we usually do 40 units and two. So because my last call that I got yesterday was, I'm confused. I'm looking at this package and it says it's a multi-dose kit and this is the concentration. And I'm like, no, just 40 units twice and you're good. So I didn't really realize that you guys had it pre-mixed already or pre, is it, pre, do they have pre-filled syringes or? So uh, we don't do the pre-filled syringes. We do the uh, pre-mixed in a vial. Uh, the reason I don't do it in a pre-filled syringe is because you have to do another study called a container closure study on mm, it. Gotcha. Uh, and there is a loss of potency of that. I love extended uh, beyond use states of all of my compounds because if someone happens to, you know, have to postpone anything, I want them to not have to pay for it. Thing a second time. So um, I do keep it in the vial. Um, I kind of always have... Um, my little nurse hat on as well. I, I did some 
nursing before I went into pharmacy. So I always am at that level whenever I make compounds and things. So I'm like, I don't want them to have to reconstitute anything at home. Mm -hmm. Uh, The formula is built, reconstituted already, sent off to the lab. We got a very expensive long-term study on it to make sure it was safe and sterile and potent for a very long time. Um, And the patients don't have to worry about mixing it at home. I like everything pre-mixed. Yes, absolutely. I have a question about the very long time. So when I started doing Lupron triggers, it seemed like they had a longer shelf life (laughs) than what it seems like they have now. Like when my patients get Lupron triggers, it's like, oh, you have to use it within 14 or 21 days. Whereas used to, it seemed like it was longer. Is that my perception or is, do you, do you know what I'm referring to here? I'm not sure what you're referring to. No, (laughs) we have always, our our on fertility, because it is our, it is our little baby. We always want to take care of it. So uh, we always try to get at least a 90 BUD on it. So a 90 um, expiration date on it. Uh I'm, um, that is kind of where we always go with anything. And then when you're talking about non-sterile things, which are like progesterone suppositories, those are always good for 180 days, so six months. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about, Susan, because I feel like our my coordinators are always ordinary in those triggers at the last possible last minute. Day. And I'm like, don't <laughs> have it at the last minute. This is the one yeah. thing that we have no wiggle room. Yeah. Add in a storm or a hurricane or yeah. you know, a FedEx catastrophe. <laughs> So are most drugs like that? Can you compound those? Like if a patient has a certain reaction to a certain component of some sort of medicine, is that what compounding pharmacists can do? They can come up with new creations and new ways to package whatever medicine it is that we need? Yep, exactly. That's kind of how we... We still have, uh, you know, there's there's not as many people. We're we're licensed in 50 states, so we're we're pretty large scale compared to a lot of compounding pharmacies that are out there doing a lot of topical creams and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- those things they can customize. You know, if it's not commercially available for a certain dose of something, or if they can't um, have a certain dye in their medication as a popular one, we can sub it out and be dye-free, uh, mm-hmm. lactose-free, things like that. Uh, but if, for, for fertility in general, um, we we can kind of help out as best we can in the different ways. Uh, you know, even people who can't do the injections, we've got all these progesterone suppositories as well at every single dose you could possibly think of, uh, things like that. Are there any compounding options for FSH products? We have some, but they're not quite as popular just because when it comes to um, when it comes to customization of those, I have less need for it. Mm-hmm. Like I have less requests. I always love like Bring me your request and I'll see what we can do. Um, and another big thing that I always consider is a pricing point of of different things like that as well. So we haven't really had that many requests or needed for customization of those, I'll say. Meg, do you? Can you yeah. think of anything well, in particular? Because um, we don't want to make it not affordable for the patient. So a lot of the compounds that we have focused on are also like having that additional benefit of the patient can afford it and it's this customized product. Um, I think when you get into the FSH, it's just like, it's more tricky Mm -hmm. um, because it can be really expensive to get what you need to make it. And then, okay, the the big ones that are out there right now are doing a pretty good job and patients aren't typically having adverse reactions to them. Um, So we haven't seen as much of a need to like go there, I guess. 
So I have kind of a random question in that I've got, occasionally I'll have a patient who just does not do pills, period, end of story, can't do them. And so there's someone who otherwise is a really good candidate for Clomid or Letrozole, but uh, they they just can't swallow the pills. Is there any liquid form of that or even injectable? We can always do things like that. Yeah, for, for liquids, we have to look into bioavailability of certain drugs as well. Mm -hmm. But for something like that, if they just wanted to switch it into a liquid, that's very, very simple to do. I should okay. So I have another I have another question across or sort of thinking out of the box. When are we ever going to have a pill for FSH? When are we going to quit having to make patients take injections? Nice. Yeah. That would be if you guys could come up with that, you could retire on an island in Fiji somewhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. I think the bioavailability uh, orally would be crazy to come up with. It would be really? quite expensive. See, that's where it comes in. Like the affordability of it sometimes is not worth it because you would have to, you know, really, really take a lot more of the product if you're going to take it orally. And then it doesn't become even something you would want to offer to anybody because no one can afford that. But a patch or some other delivery other than just a pill, a vaginal <laughs> medicine? Patches are yeah. extremely expensive as well. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, that is a huge part of compounding pharmacy too, though, is um, besides just removing certain ingredients or customizing them, it's changing it to a different form than you typically see on the market. Yeah. Um, and like Jocelyn was saying, sometimes um, you just have to weigh out the benefits. Like, is this going to be affordable for the patient to even use? Um, is it going to be um, potent um, and effective for them? You just kind of have to weigh it out. Yeah. So I have sometimes patients are wanting something. They, they have this impression that compounding pharmacies are going to be able to give them a more natural product. Mm. What, you know, and, and I know everybody, you know, everybody wants to make babies naturally. You know, that's, that's kind of the, the ideal goal. Um, there's, Obviously, we we help people help when things aren't going so well naturally. What? How would you comment about is the process really natural or is it just different? I would say when we're talking about these kind of medications, Luprolide, progesterone, um, one of our like kind of our popular ones in fertility space, um, we do not you know put any additional fillers or anything in it. So it's more uh, kind of just the active pharmaceutical ingredient, what we should call API, so progesterone, we'll use an example. And then we don't put any other filler in it that we don't have to besides the kind of things we have to have to, to make it an injection, for example. Uh, but it really is the same active pharmaceutical ingredient when we're talking about these kind of skews of drugs. Now, when we get into kind of over-the-counters and different talks like that, I could, there's, there's more to it. But these, these are pretty much... And what does bioidentical really mean? That is a great yeah. question. What is the real meaning of that word? Yes. What does that really mean? What is the real definition of bioidentical? I don't want to... you know, that's a big buzzword in our field. You know, oh, these are bioidentical hormones, so they've got to be better. And that, that's sort of the... At least that's the unspoken the catchphrase. thought. Yeah. The catchphrase. I feel like it's a catchphrase. And I, I appreciate that no one on this call has rolled their eyes at that phrase because I have definitely seen that reaction a good many times when people bring up bioidentical because um, because it's not... Like you said, I mean, it's not really well-defined. Um, yeah. What, what do you guys consider bioidentical versus what's out there? 
particularly when you're talking about estrogen and progesterone. Yeah. So when it comes to what is kind of out on the market commercially available, I think this is where it more is in the, I, I usually hear it more in the hormone space and menopause and things like that. Yeah. Which is in this space. Um, so we are getting more of just the actual ingredients, pure product API, and we are compounding it like that, where that kind of makes sense where there's so many different patches and they're using it from different um, animals. Uh, I don't even want to really scare your listeners where they're getting some of the products from, from the commercial products. But yeah, uh, you yeah. Know, they, they're, they're getting them from animals and different things like that. So they're, they're not exactly the same product as the, the bioidentical API that I'm getting in a bulk powder and I'm a compounding with. So that I think is more of the space that is different. Now, when you're talking about a progesterone and sesame oil injection versus a progesterone and ethyl oleate, those are, those are the same. But when we're talking about, um, we're where did you get your estradiol from? Yeah, so... Or your thyroid hormone. Thyroid hormone, that's a good Thyroid one. hormone, because <laughs> that is all, all over the place. Yeah, so we do our own thyroid hormones as well. So we're actually using the, the T3, T4. We, we make our own little combination capsules that are more natural uh, than... So what do you make your thyroid capsules from? Yeah. What, what, what do, you, do you use? What source do you make your thyroid capsules from? So we we have the same. So we actually just use the pure product. So for an example of this one, it would be Synthroid is usually the one where people are. that That's a synthetic hormone that they're making. Um, where we don't make Synthroid, we actually just take the pure chemical and make, we actually have to do these micro, micro, micro formulas from it because they're such tiny, tiny little molecules when you do the thyroid. But um, we we don't have to deal with any of the synthetic stuff. But it's I not think what Susan, or anything like that. That's what I was just, I think that's what Susan's getting at. We have a lot of patients that say, well, I want to use Armour Thyroid because it's a natural hormone. Well, one of my endocrinology colleagues says, well, it's a natural hormone if you're a pig, but if you're not a pig, it's not natural. <laughs> and I just wonder what your take is on that. that that's what I was getting at. A lot of these these hormones are from horses and pigs and things like that. So when people are sometimes shocked when they hear about where they're getting it from, from a urine of a horn None. and things like that. So sometimes it makes it a little worse for people when they find out where it's coming from. But I mean, that's just kind of how things are derived, unfortunately. I don't know that it's unfortunate. I mean, that, I mean they're amazing medications that do wonderful I mean, I, I agree, but I can see where there's both takes on it where, you know, some people don't want to have animal products and things like that. I think about, correct me if I'm wrong, and you probably know this better than I do, but about 20 or 25 years ago when I started out, we used a lot of, I don't know if they called it Menopure back then, Perganol, I guess. And Perganol came from where? Do you know? Do you know what I'm talking about? So Perganol came from the urine, I believe, of Italian nuns or something like that. And I could be totally wrong on that, but I think that's where it came from. Oh, no, no, that's, yeah, that that was that. But Menopure is um, from from postmenopausal women in somewhere in South America or something oh, is it? like that. I'm pretty sure it's like this very concentrated area, and um, I mean, it's the same concept. Yeah, exactly. Okay, I didn't know that that was still the case, but mm-hmm. I knew it was back then, and I think it was Italian nuns back then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Vatican got involved because the yeah. researcher from. Israel, who was looking into it, who really wanted to help rebuild populations after World War II, talked to the Italians and the Italian, whoever he was talking to, that 
that man's uncle was the Pope at the time. Oh. And so he was like, oh, I know where you can find menopausal women. And so they got it from the convents, from the yeah. Vatican, because they just collected vats and vats and vats of nun urine. And then they finally figured out a way how to do it synthetically so that they didn't have to do that. Carrie, you are just full of incredible factoids. I mean, I knew just a little bit of that and I kind of lived through some of that. And yet you knew the details. I am really impressed. I didn't know we were going to get a history lesson today. This is what happens. <laughs> so I do Jeopardy for my residents, and there's always a column uh-huh. that's uh, facts to amaze your friends and astound your enemies. <laughs> that is one of that is always one of the categories. So I pull that okay. out for a couple of years so that the chief residents have heard it before so that yeah. they can look like hot shots. Ah, ah. Mm-hmm. that was a good one. It's all timing. All timing. <laughs> Well, any other questions you guys can think of? So I was going to say, if you were going to sum up, what are the biggest advantages of compounded and what are the biggest disadvantages of compounds so that as people are thinking, is this right for me? They kind of know how to... What are the pros and cons? What are the pros and cons? Yeah, I think a big pro of compounding is we can make it customized for patients and we don't have to go through long, long trials and big pharma to make sure that we could do this. Because sometimes, I mean, right now, ethylate is is a superior base in my opinion, but I would have to have a study, of course, that shows that, well, uh, I can just do it here, get it lab tested and say that it is safe and effective uh, and potent. And I know from patient feedback, they prefer it because it doesn't hurt as much Mm -hmm. and easier to administer. Uh, I think another big pro is cost because we can make it more affordable for the patient as well. But at the same time, it can be a con because insurance doesn't cover compounds. So Mm. it kind of is one of those things you have to kind of weigh out as well. So your insurance might cover your progesterone and sesame oil, but it might not cover your progesterone and ethyl oleate because that's a Mm. compound. So it's a pro and con always when it comes to the cost of it. Yeah, I would say another pro um, would be We've seen a lot of manufacturer back orders on a lot of yes, um, fertility. Yes, have. Yeah. And so another pro is that the compounding pharmacy can meet those needs as well. Mm-hmm. Um, when those shortages do happen, um, that's very common for us. Um, and then a con on the same end might be availability for compounds like in the same sense of like these manufactured products. Maybe you can get one out of CVS, whereas there's a little bit more to doing a compound. Like we have to make it and do all these things. Um, But I would say that the pros outweigh the cons in my totally unbiased opinion. We certainly get lots of good drugs from you guys. So we really appreciate it. We really appreciate you talking with us today. I learned a lot today and it was really informative. And I know our listeners will really um, learn a lot as well. Um, And to our audience, thanks for listening and tune in next week for more. Also, be sure to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. We'd really love to hear from you. Um, We also are on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Be sure and follow and subscribe to stay updated on all things infertility. You can also visit FertilityDocsUncensored.com to submit a specific question about infertility. All questions will be answered on the podcast anonymously for our Ask the Doc segment. So don't hold back. We love episode ideas. So let us know what you're thinking and want to hear. And as always, this podcast is intended for entertainment and is not a substitute for medical advice from your own physician. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.